Hey, it's Kylie, and welcome to 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. We've made it to the point in the week when I talk to somebody who is living hode or humility to help me understand the attribute. But first, I want to wish you a happy Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer. Today is a day of celebration, marking the end of a plague that killed over 24,000 of Rabbi Akiva's students thousands of years ago. The day also celebrates the life of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of Rabbi Akiva's most famous students. Traditionally, it's a big day for barbecuing and lighting bonfires. It's also when those who weren't listening to music or cutting their hair during the first half of the Omer bring that back in. So if you have plans today or got the party started last night, l'chaim. Party or no party, today is Thursday and I am turning to a friend to help me understand Hode. Moish Hanan is a life coach and a man who speaks publicly about his journey to sobriety as a recovering and sober alcoholic and addict. Moish devotes his life to helping people let go of their sense of control. He is also the host of the Nishamas podcast, where he speaks incredibly openly with other people about their personal experiences with mental illness and their pathway to recovery. Here's my conversation with Moish. I'm really excited to talk to you for a multitude of reasons. The first of which is that we're in the week of Hod, humility, submission to a higher power. Easily the week that I've had the most resistance of every single week of Sphira. I feel like an obstinate teenager. Like I don't want to, I don't want to move. I don't want to let go of anything. I want to just stay where I am and it's hard. It's hard to get out of that. And so I'm really excited to talk to you because I feel like you understand that. And that is something that you not only have worked within yourself, but you've also helped and you continue to help other people work through. So I think for starters, tell me about your journey to, to humility. What's most current to me as we speak is that when we began the recording, I had my hands, my elbows up on the table and my hand in front of my face. Mm-hmm. And what happened to me naturally is I put my hands onto my lap. And as soon as I did that, I was like, wow, this is so much more humble. Oh my God, that's so beautiful because it's the simplest little things that can be really hard to build up to. At least if you're me, it's hard to do those little things. It's that, it's um, being conscious. You know, I've done a lot of different types of like speaking things, right? So I've been, thank God, in 12-step recovery for almost 10 years now. And I've had the opportunity to share my story many times. I also have a podcast. And there's one thing that I do almost every time I speak. And that is like the prayer that we say right before Shimona Esrei, which is, Hashem which means, God, please open up my mouth and let your word speak through me. Shimona Esrei, just for clarity's sake, is what? Yeah, Shimon Esrei is like the highlight of Jewish prayer, which is we say three times a day. That's the time when we're one-on-one with God. The one-line prayer that we say right before we begin the long 18 blessings is, Dear God, please, please open up my mouth so that your praise can come through me, you know, to you. So essentially, it's like, please help me let go of what I think is supposed to come through me. Or, you know, even the, even the language of saying come through me is also like yeah. an expression of the work, right? So, oh yeah, it's me that's supposed to come up with ideas and it's me that's supposed to remember all these things that I'm going to say. Or it's like completely, like actually intentionally forgetting 
or setting aside everything, you know, and also like not just I'm setting aside, I'm asking God to help me set aside anything I think I know about what HUD is and what humility is and what who Kylie is and who Moshe is and who God is. Just to help me set that aside, even though like if I was doing it on my own, I probably wouldn't do it perfectly. And even if I ask you, God, the way that you're going to set it aside is not going to be the way I think it's supposed to be set aside, <laughs> you know, like it goes deeper and deeper. But ultimately, it's like, help me set aside everything I think I know about what's supposed to happen here. Even you saying that, my my mind is kind of on fire. Like, what role am I going to play, though? What am, where is my place going to be? But how did you come to this point? How did you come to this point in your life where you let go of the sense that everything falls on you, that the pressure is on you, that you have to figure out how to be in the world? How did you, how did you get to that point? You really, really helped me answer the question by the way you just expressed, what am I going to do, right? Often our response to what am I going to do, what am I going to say, what is my role, is responded with actually like despair. Like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't, and there's like a silent, I don't know, right? Yeah. And then there's despair and then there's like, oh, you know, and all these different thoughts that maybe I shouldn't do it at all. Maybe I should just like not record this or, you know. So that's one way of responding and that's mostly going to be unconscious. But if we're conscious, there are generally two ways that we could respond. One is going to be with like a piece of information. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to figure this out about what I'm going to contribute to this conversation or what I'm going to contribute in this world. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like responding with some sort of strategy, intellectual process that's going to help me come up with a strategy. And another one is like, who's asking that question? Who's asking that question? Is it Kylie from today? Is it Kylie from a teenager? Is it how many times, you know, how far back does this question go? And if this question goes anywhere past today, you know, yesterday or a week or a year ago, then perhaps what I really need is just a hug and some love and some <laughs> being with, right? So the reason why I went through all that is to basically say that when I do that practice and I'm able to soothe all of those or as many of those voices of neediness, that the, the voices that take up all the space of silence, then a voice from deeper and beyond can just come forth. What was your life like before you got, like, have you always lived like this? Has this been your life? Have you always been? No, no way, no way. <laughs> this is, even today, this is constant, constant work and worth it. I'm heavily invested in, you know, getting clear as much as possible and what God's will is for me in any, every given moment. And that being what always aligns with what my, what I would love and what I'm good at. Have you always lived with a sense of like calling though, or was there a point before where you were like resistant to it? So I, I definitely had some sort of calling to like, I, know, I guess because I, I grew up in an environment where we like absolutely took on the leadership and, and, passion like roles like there's a purpose that we would take it on so for example in in my addiction i opened up a synagogue and created a community and it was amazing and uh, i did that twice that's when i was single and when i was married i did it once in, in jerusalem with a bunch of friends and it was a beautiful community and then i did it again so like on one hand i was plagued with so much fear so much like 
self-consciousness, self-degradation, shame, guilt, resentment. Like I was completely full with that. And despite that, I was able to create a few things and that was amazing. Now, once I was able to work through all that stuff, you know, therapy work, 12-step work, what are all the noises and all the fears and, and beliefs about myself and the world and others that are limiting my vision and limiting my capacity to create a positive impact in the world, starting with myself, my family and my friends and, and so on and so forth. You know, I, I try to do every, every possible way, you know, I've, I've been committed to that. Like from basically that's what sobriety kind of forced me to do that. Like the only way I was able to stay sober was to get clear on what all those, all that noise is. So what was your life like pre-sobriety? Because you've kind of set up this sobriety and then before. What was your life like before as it relates to control in particular? It was, uh, I think it was like a three-step process, right? So I would have an idea of the way the world is supposed to be. And the, the, the place where it played out the most was in my marriage. There was a way that my, I would want my wife to behave, the way my home I wanted it to be or the way I wanted it to be treated. And when I would either expect without voicing or voice what it is that I want and things would not go my way, 99% of the time I would be even nicer and plead or like do extra favors so I can earn the right to say what I want so that if I, if you only do what I want, everything's going to be better, you know? And then when things didn't go my way, I would slip right into a depression. And the depression was like, you know, this is the one person that loves me, you know, more than anybody in the world. And I'm relying on that. And I'm not even being heard here. So, you know, what's what's the point? That's yeah. my way of trying to control was like in a super nice way. But ultimately, yeah, it would like lead me to disappointment and depression, etc. And so what was 12-step work like? One of the readings that we were contemplating doing for this week, I, I read something to connect me to the sphere every week, and we were contemplating doing the AA prayer, the serenity prayer, because it's all about control. God, help me let go of control. Grant me the serenity, I think, to let go of control. And so that, like, it's all about this idea of, of happiness comes from not having control. <laughs> it comes from the humility that comes from not having control. So what was that process like for you? I distinctly remember coming home a few days in a row and um, there were like food items left on the counter that go bad. And we were like super struggling financially. And I was so frustrated by that. Like, how could, how could this continue happening? And um, the work for me was to accept the person that I cannot change, right? Which is my wife. And ask God also for the courage to change the person that I could change. And that's me. And the wisdom to know the difference, right? I cannot change her. I need to focus on, my, on, on me. And at the time, the thing is, is like, this is, there's like a gift of desperation in sobriety because I have to do this work. For me to be resentful at my wife would cause me to drink and for me to drink was to die. So I couldn't, I was like a matter of life that I had to, let go of it but then on the other hand once i started practicing that first of all a lot of the things that i was trying to control ended up working out anyway without my control and specifically without my control but furthermore i was sober and the bonus which was like the best thing ever was like i, was ha I started having an amazing life and mm -hmm. i started applying that everywhere missing a train and 
you know, all different type of disappointments. Can I change anything? You know, I remember standing at the platform of the train running late for work and I'm like looking over, looking for the train. And I'm like, wait a second, what's happening here? I am not the conductor. I don't even have access to him to tell him to come any quicker. There's absolutely nothing that I can do right here, right now to make that train come quicker. And I'm late. I'm late. And, um, and I'm fighting what is. I'm just fighting it. And it's creating a certain person. And then I, and I, the question was, why did this have to happen? Right? That was the question in my head. And I was given a gift, you know, through like a real slowing down and accepting. And the word was wonder. I wonder why this happened, you know? So much more like humility, so much more openness, so much more curiosity. And then I just switched. And and if I'm going to go into the world of wonder and humility, then it's going to be like, hmm, I wonder if I was late so that I can say hi to this person on the train. I wonder if I'm late because somebody needs to see my, you know, my yarmulke or my kisses or my beard or my smile. And then I was, I would just like kind of explore on all these good things that I can possibly do. I love that so much. The, the the piece that I read this week in the end was a piece by this German poet named Rilke. And the, the main message of it is to live the questions, not to look for the answers, but to live with questions. And through living the questions, you will eventually over time live into an answer. And to have the humility to know that you don't need the answer right away. You don't need the answer. It's just a curiosity. It's just a question. And by having the open question, you will eventually maybe come to an answer. But even if you don't, you're also okay. And that's, it's really, it's hard to do. It's just like, I know for me, there's a part of me that just wants to have an understanding of everything and come to a, feel content knowing that this thing happened. It, it was really uncomfortable. It sucked. But I can make sense of it, and so it's fine. It was meant to happen for this reason. It's coming up with some kind of neat package for things to exist in so that I don't feel any kind of discomfort at things not going my way. I, I want to try to paint a picture for you and maybe offer you a perspective, okay? There's a pause that happens when an artist is given the canvas and the paint, and he sits down, and he pauses right there and then, where he's standing in front of infinite possibility. I can draw anything and wait, wait, let's see what comes forth. Let's see what comes forth. And then something starts coming forth. But there's like mm. a space, right? So we can look at question as that. We can look at question as like a necessary evil in order to get to an answer. So, or, or a question is a problem and an answer is a solution. Or we can look at questions themselves as, as a way to live in the world, not just as a means to get to answers. Like there's a way of being infinite in a finite world. So in a world which needs answer, I need answer, I need answer, but how long can I stay without needing an answer? How, can I, how long can I sit in infinite possibility for? And the longer I can sit in infinite possibility, the more I can experience what it means to be in the presence of infinite possibility. And there's so much, and, and, and it could be something to be like to pursue in and of itself, and it could also be something to be a means of, of accessing deeper creativity. You know, the longer mm. I could sit with a blank canvas and quiet all of the neediness to fill it with something, you know, and wait, 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 quiet. I see you. I see you. I see you. And then calm down, like really be with all my inner parts, all the neediness, and then like 
love them and then allow like much deeper creativity to emerge. I think somehow you have hit on every single theme of the Omer that I've covered so far of each attribute has somehow, I think, come out in conversation with you in the most beautiful, seamless way, which is such a testament to not holding control because I could not have gotten that out of you if I tried. (laughs) It just happened that every single thing at some point that you said hit on something that that I've learned, which I think is perhaps the most beautiful way to start winding down because that's what we're doing. We're, We're beginning the wind down in some ways of the Omer by moving into a place of acceptance of what is. And Moish, you have given me the greatest gift of acceptance of what is. In an area where I feel deeply challenged, you have really helped me a lot, and I'm very grateful to you for that. There is something about a conversation covering humility that makes me feel like I need to have even more control. I went into this conversation with an idea in my head about how it needed to unfold, or what I wanted Moish to say. But as we were talking, none of what I imagined playing out really played out. In some ways, it felt like being coached in humility as we were talking. In the end, our conversation was even better than I could have ever orchestrated. He managed to hit every attribute of Sphera and show me how intertwined everything is up until this point of the count. He really taught me that humility is what you get when you give yourself over to the experience. Stay tuned for tomorrow when I sum up my experience and wrap up a week of humility. Until then, I'm Kylie Unell, and this is 49 Days to Stretch My Soul. Nine Days to Stretch My Soul is a production of Tablet Studios. The show is hosted by me, Kylie Unell, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruske, Josh Cross, Quinn Waller, Robert Scaramuccia, and Sara Fredman-Ader. Our team includes Stephanie Butnick, Leah Leibovitz, Mark Oppenheimer, and Tanya Singer. Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other people discover the show. For more of me, you can follow at Kylie Unell on Instagram, for more information about this or any other of Tablet's podcasts, visit tabletmag.com slash podcasts.